This is a podcast of the Church at Indian Lake. I titled today's sermon, uh, Sacrifice. Now, I wrestled within myself uh, because sacrifice isn't a word that really draws a crowd, right? Nobody thinks that sacrifice is going to be an awesome sermon, and it looks like it's, it's done okay. You guys have all come out. But I want to put you at ease that sacrifice, though you and I see that as a negative word, and, and, and in a lot of ways it is, God sees it a little bit different. He sees sacrifice just a little bit different. And we're going to find in Romans 12.1 in just a second, if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to find that God sees sacrifice in a different way. So we're going to read that together, if you would. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, if you want to add, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. This, this is your spiritual act of worship. Now, what just happened here uh, at the start of the service, uh, we would all consider worship, and, in, and, in, and it is, and it's, it's awesome, and it's encouraging. And across, uh, across America, across the Bible Belt specifically, we all view worship as someone leading a song and us entering in. And, and we have different ways of worshiping with our, our hands or on our face, or we sing or we clap. And, and that is our definition of worship. But Romans 12.1 challenges you, and it challenges me, to look at our living sacrifice as worship. Our living sacrifice is worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, when it's preached, you tell us it does not return void. And so, Father, I ask that the words spoken here by a human being be transformed and supernaturally ministered to the lives of the people here. And I thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If we were to take a poll, the majority of us in this room would say that we are observant. In fact, even... Thinking that you would not be observant would be insulting because I believe we have a high caliber of uh, leaders and intelligent individuals right here in this room uh, who will probably retain everything said here and go back and repeat it to the countless number of people that you see through the rest of the year. And I believe that you are observant and I'm observant. We are aware of the things that go on around us, but sometimes... Sometimes things slide by us. I don't know um, if you grew up in this era or not. I, looking across the room, most of you probably did. Uh, do you remember the 3D posters that everybody had for a while, maybe in the 90s, where they were like a, a color mesh of just nothing? And if you stared at them long enough and your eyes sort of, uh, did we already, it came out at you. Do you remember that? And all of a sudden it just sort of makes itself real to you. Uh, sometimes things take place right in front of us that we don't even recognize. It's easy to miss something that you're not looking for. It's easy to miss something that you're not looking for. I think that that line right there, if you want to jot it down, if you're a note taker, you want to write it down, that's going to come back to be so real to us in just a few minutes. And I'm excited to reveal that it's just something that you're not looking for right there in front of us. Now, most of us, when we, when we read a, a book, we find ourselves immersed in a, in a TV series or a, a movie, a play, if, if, if that has been set up to be really good at character development, we identify with a given character, don't we? we? We say things like, oh, that is totally something that I would have said, or that's something that so-and-so would have done. And, and we go on and on when we find ourselves um, diving into uh, a character. And so, uh, for example, I think that most of us in this room probably know um, a Michael Scott, a Dwight Schrute, 
uh, Pam Beasley, right? Has everyone else played this game? This is the, the hit TV show, The Office, where you said, oh, that guy's just like Jim Helper, right? Am I the only one that's ever identified? I know I'm Michael Scott. Maybe you don't. Um, I could introduce him to you later on. We all find ourselves identifying with a given character in a story. And so this morning, I'm going to read to you uh, a, a popular Bible story, uh, one that you've probably heard uh, many times. But what I don't want to happen is I don't want you to check out. I don't want you to say, ah, I know where this goes and I'm going to be done. Because watching a movie twice, you say, ah, I know, what, I know how it ends. And so just because you understand where the story's going, I want you to find yourself diving into a character, finding out, even though there's not a lot of development, finding which character you would fit in with the most at this given moment of your life. So go ahead, if you wouldn't, turn to, uh, to Luke 10.30. Across the room, if you would, turn to Luke 10.30. And we're going to read the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's going to come up on the board. We're going to start in 30 and read down. As pages are turning, I want to go ahead and start reading with you. It says, uh, Jesus says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away. I hate when that happens. Do you not hate when that happens? Uh, leaving him half dead, he uh, sits there on the side of the road. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Pause for a second. In this given story, we find that two of the religious people who held great places in their community, who held great positions in their, uh, in their uh, religious establishments, went and passed straight by this man in need. And if you've ever seen someone who's been stripped and beaten, it's obvious that they are in need. It's not like, oh, does that guy need some help? It's obvious when someone's stripped and beaten that they are in need. Now let's pick up in 33. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expenses you may have. So here are our main characters. We have the traveler. By all accounts, this guy was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, we have the robbers, who were simply looking to take from someone. They were looking to take advantage of someone. We have uh, the priest and we have the Levite who saw the traveler as a nuisance, as a problem, as something to slow them down as they went about their religious activity. Uh, then we have our Samaritan and we have our innkeeper. And so uh, right now I'm going to dive straight into the Samaritan and we're going to come back and pick up uh, the rest of these characters in just a moment. But the Samaritan uh, it was a very interesting individual. And what I find the most remarkable about this passage is um, where it says, he came to where he was and he helped him. He came to where he was and he helped him. There are problems. There are people in need all around us. And to see the problem is one thing. To go to them and to meet that need is another. Now, I don't know what the price of oil and wine were uh, at the given time of the story. I probably could have done a Google search or something uh, more educated and, and gone to a book and, and found uh, the price. But I know that both are kind of expensive now. So my guess is that was a pretty big sacrifice back then. He came to where they were. 
Most of us in this room, we consider ourselves good Christians. And by all account, we are. We log our time with God. We are here faithfully most Sundays and Wednesdays, which in and of itself is remarkable, uh, given the caliber of Christians, the people that call themselves Christians. We're dedicated. Maybe you're mowing the lawn on a weekly basis. You're in the nursery or your youth staff or your 4.6. You're involved in the church. You're giving of your money and you're giving of your time. Um, and, and that is remarkable. And we could do a round of applause and, and, we, could, and we do. We feel good. And, and, and it is good. But the problem is sometimes we look at those things and we say, those are, those are my God things. Those are, that's my God time. Okay? A Sunday morning, I'm here for Sunday school. That's God time. Now this afternoon, that's my time. The football's on. You brew a pot of coffee or whatever you do on Sunday afternoon. Monday morning, that's my work time. Tuesday's work. Wednesday night, that's church again. That's, that's God. And we segment, or as I like to say, we compartmentalize our religion. We compartmentalize God and we say, I'm going to do everything I can for God and I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to be just a really good Christian this time. But the problem is for the Samaritan, he seemed to have embraced Christ throughout his entire life. It would be easy for us as we were walking by to say, I've got to go mow the churchyard. I see that you're beat up and I see that you're in trouble. I've got to go mow the churchyard. Or I've got to go to nursery. I've got to make it to Sunday school. We sacrifice, but we only sacrifice a portion of our lives and we hold on to the rest for us. And sometimes the, the problem is we end up giving God a leftover time. Empty promises. When we go to, to, to pray or to read our Bible or to spend time with God, we, we wait until we're about ready to drift off to sleep and we kind of go, God, and that's it. We give God what's left over sometimes when we don't allow Him full access to our life. And, and we have legitimate reasons. We have work. We have our family. Uh, we have uh, responsibilities that are legitimate. And on paper just makes sense that this is why we can't give everything to God. But the truth is a matter of truth of the matter is that God isn't looking for our excuses or our reasons. He's looking for all of us. Romans, uh, what I find interesting is that it doesn't call for a sacrifice. A sacrifice, as we know it, is something that's slaughtered or killed upon an altar. It's laid there. It's dead. It's empty. He's calling for a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice in you and I. My first point, if you're taking notes, is that a living sacrifice is constant. A living sacrifice is constant. It's not this moment or that moment. It's constant throughout our lives. Uh, if you look at the message version, and I, I frequently do because I enjoy looking at alternate versions, even though it's been kind of the, the scriptures have been altered and mixed up, uh, I find uh, it breathes a little bit of new life into, uh, it kind of relates a little closer to us. So the message version of uh, Romans 12.1 says this. It says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, and your walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Each and every day, we walk past people in need. We do. We walk straight past people in need, and we find that we only see the needs that we choose to see. For example, the video, it showed you all these scene changes, and if I were to show it to you again, you would catch them this time, because you're looking, you're aware, you're watching. 
but we choose to see the problems that we want to see. And there's a problem. You see, a lot of times we exist to simply survive the world. We put our heads down and we, we get in Monday and we do our job and we get out and we go home and we get in Tuesday and we, we just try to survive the world because we all know life, life is tough. Life is demanding. It's easy for life to literally suck the life out of all of us. And we get caught in that mundane pattern. But we do not exist to survive the world. You and me, we exist to change the world. We exist to change it. And for us to kind of put our head down and just go about life hoping to escape with uh, some shred of dignity is doing God a disservice because He created all of us to do great and mighty things. And we're all busy. Not a single person in this room is not busy. But God is calling for us to find ourselves, our everyday life. I don't know that I would have called you ordinary. I just want to toss that in there. The message thought you were ordinary. I think you're extraordinary. They're looking for your every single day life to be offered up to God. Now, if you look in Luke 10, 35, it says, Then the next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expenses you may have. We must care more about people than our money, than our own agendas, than our schedules. And it's when we find ourselves caring more about people every single day then we find ourselves living a life of sacrifice. And you may have never stumbled across someone naked and beaten and robbed. You may not, and maybe you have, and that could be a different story. But you have encountered people that need you. More specifically, you have encountered people, probably on your way into this auditorium, you've encountered people who need Jesus. And we do not exist to survive this world. We exist to change it. That's the difference. And every single day we need to wake up and say, God, make me a living sacrifice. God, make me more aware of the problems that others have than aware of my own problems. I heard this weekend something remarkable that changed my life. It hit me right in the face, almost literally. The man said, "Um, if we were to take all of the problems in this room and throw them, write them down on a paper and throw them down on a table, there is a 90% chance or maybe a 100% chance you would take your own problems back with you because we have no idea what the people sitting next to you right now are going through. How incredible. Because we get focused on our own stuff. And you may be going through something hideous and horrible, and I don't know, but there's a good chance that the things that we go through on an everyday basis take us away from what God wants us to do. Now, none of us in this room, no one would be so inhumane as to literally cut out portions of the Bible. You would not open your scriptures and just start shredding things, would you? There's something very holy and sacred about a Bible. None of us would cut pages out. But guess what? When we choose to believe what we want, we're doing just that. And when we say, you know, God, I'm going to give you this portion of my life, or I'm going to give you that portion of my life, we are saying, God, this I don't believe, this I don't believe, this I don't believe, because God is looking for everything. The second point uh, today is that in order to be a living sacrifice, you and I have to check our ego. Ouch, that kind of hurt already, right? Just saying check your ego sort of stings. We've got to check our ego because a living sacrifice puts the needs of others before our own. If you look at Luke 
uh, 10.34, it said, He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, meaning the Samaritan had to walk. Uh, he went and paid money and he said, Look, anything that you, any expenses you incur past this, I'll come back and give you more money. He put the other man, the man he did not know, he put his needs before his own. He went the extra mile. He had genuine, real compassion. This can't be faked. I've tried. I still try on, in moments of weakness. Will you fake that genuine compassion? Like, oh, I really care about you, man. And you don't. People see through that. Genuine, real compassion. Listen, in, in my life, and, and I'm just being honest with you, I, I struggle uh, with the idea that I tend to only like people that like me back. Right? You can laugh. It's okay that you think that that would be funny because you're the same way. You like people that like you back. We like spending time with and doing remarkable things for people that, that we know or that we spend time with. And, and we tend to like to get credit for it. Facebook has opened a wonderful world of opportunities for us to get credit for everything that we do in every moment of our life. And, and, and it's, it's whatever. But I think that it's amazing that we tend to like people that like us. But God is calling us to look beyond that. A lack of compassion, it's easy to justify. It's easy to justify. We say things like, um, I'm just not built that way. I'm not wired to be compassionate. I'm just not. It's not me. It's not in my nature to be kind. Uh, I tell it like it is. I'm honest. I'm, I'm straight to the point. I, I cut through all of that. People appreciate the honesty. And, and, and I've used all of those excuses. Those aren't things I had to come up with. They came pretty easily. And I tell you, that God did wire you, and he wired me to be compassionate. And he wired you, and he wired me to love others and to put others' needs first. If we were to take the Bible all down to one word, what would it be? Well, I'll give it to you, because we'd all have different answers possibly. But it's love. It's love. We're to love people. Christ didn't give his life so that you and I can pick and choose who we want to love. He didn't give his life so that we can pick and choose who we want to spend time with or who we want to help. We can't go by walking down the road and say, all right, well, you know... You don't need as much help as maybe somebody else. We can't go by and, and see someone who needs help, who's beaten and robbed, and, and give a, a quick religious prayer. Like, oh, God, bless this man and, and help him to get some clothes and take off. That's not what God has called you and I to do. He's called us to love. He's called us to go the extra mile, to put them on your donkey, to give them your money, to give them your time. And that is worship, holy and pleasing unto God. We have to take up our cross and die to ourselves daily. Deny our selfish uh, desires and deny our, our, uh, our DNA. We were built to be selfish. We, were, we, we have this an innate uh, desire for, for stuff and things and to do what pleases us. But God is calling us to look beyond that and do what benefits those around us. And it's only when we put others' needs before our own that we become living sacrifices. My last points, point number three for those keeping count, it says being a living sacrifice is worth it. I find this encouraging, and it's a good encouraging spin, and hopefully you've felt my encouragement in this, and it's worth it. It might cost you everything that you have. It is worth it. Philippians 3, 7 says this, and you don't have to turn there. It's going to come on the screen. You can look at it later. It says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. 
I've lost all things. Paul says this in, in Philippians, and, and when considering everything he had done, it was great. If you were to consider everything that you've done in your life to this point, your family, the money you've acquired, the degrees that hang on your wall, the cars, whatever you have, you would consider it great, and I would consider it great. I feel like I've accomplished a lot in my life. But can we say that everything we've accomplished in our life is nothing compared to our relationship with Jesus? Now, if I asked you, hey, is your relationship with Christ more important than anything else in your life? Every one of us across the room, including myself, would immediately, without hesitation, say yes. Why? Because that's what we're programmed to say. We know to believe that. See, there's a difference between being Christians and doing what Christians do. And we're programmed to say, yes, Christ is more important than anything else in my life. But when we start to find ourselves in a Job situation where everything's starting to be taken away from us, or anything is taken away from us. Maybe it's just your cell phone for, you know, you lose it or you break it for a week. We start to say, oh, no, this is awful. This is terrible. Can you say that everything you've done in your life is useless compared to your relationship? Because here's the truth. In order for, our, in order for us to be living sacrifices, we have to come to a point in our lives where we say, nothing else matters. Nothing else is as important as my relationship with Christ. And when we find ourselves doing that, being a living sacrifice doesn't become an option for us in the mornings. It doesn't become an option. We wake up and we say, I want to do that. I don't have to tell myself to love my wife. Well, no, I don't. I promise I don't. I don't have to tell myself, David, get up and love your wife. I don't have to leave myself a note on a mirror and say, you know, don't forget. I don't have to leave a, a alert on my phone. It's in me most of the time, 60% of the time. It's in me. And it's when we come to a place with Christ that we don't have to get up and say, man, i got to die to myself. No, because Christ in my relationship with him is more important than anything else I encounter today. Now, that's not saying money and cars and things. I don't, I don't like to put those things down because I like them as well. But they're not as important as our relationship with Christ. And when we find ourselves doing that, a living sacrifice, meeting the needs of others, is not an option. Listen. I don't, I don't read Tolstoy. As much as I'd like for you to think that I am an avid reader of Tolstoy, um, I'm just not. But I heard this quote, and I want to quote someone who quoted Tolstoy, just so we're clear. Um, he said this, We all want to change the world. You want to change the world. You want to change the world. I want to change the world. She wants to change the world. But don't all want to change ourselves. And if we don't change ourselves first, this is me, not Tolstoy, just so we're clear. If we don't change ourselves first, we're not going to change the world. We're not going to change the people next to us. We have to be willing to change ourselves. Life is quick. My 30 years, now I know some of you are saying 30, I was thinking 23, and I appreciate their thought, but my 30 years, my 30 years have gone by like that. And when I'm lying on my deathbed, next to my wife, like the final scene of the movie The Notebook, because that's how we're going to go. You won't have dementia. It'll be different. <laughs> I promise. When I'm lying there, listen to me. I do not want to look back and say, David, why did you not give 100%? Why did you only give 20%? Why did you give 15%? What would your life look like if you had sold out to Christ? Who would come to know Jesus because you decided to give it all and not hold back some? Life is fast and I want absolutely no regrets. I want to give God 100%. And it's only when we give God everything, 
our everyday, our ordinary lives, our walking, our sleeping, our eating, our mundane lives, that we begin to see the needs of others. And it's only when we establish that strong bond with Jesus Christ that sacrificing doesn't become an issue for us. That's where I want to be. No regrets. For some of you, you're saying, man, David, I'm giving about 15% of my life to Christ and jumping to 100 is a lot. Jump to 30. Jump to 60. Jump to 80. Do what you can now to change your life so that you can change the world. That's our goal, right? And it may not be the globe. We think, man, change the world. Well, I'll never go overseas or I'll never connect with someone who doesn't speak my language. But change your world. Change Gallatin. Change Lebanon, White House, change your neighborhood, change your street, change your home. Start right there and change your home. Because what we do for God in this life matters for eternity. And one day, you'll be in that bed next to your spouse and you'll be thinking, did I give it all to God? Did I give it all to God? And I want you to be able to say yes. And I want to be able to say yes. We have to choose to see the needs of the people around us. It does not come natural. It's like that 3D poster that, that doesn't pop out unless you let your eyes kind of get fuzzy and cross. It's We don't choose. We have to choose to see the needs of others because we're not programmed that way. We're programmed to see our needs, and, and rightfully so. Me too. I'm programmed to see my needs. I, I, I need coffee in the mornings, and I need gas in my car, and I need food at, at noon. What about the people around you? And they're not all beaten, naked, and poor. Sometimes they're just there, looking like they've got it all together. Tonight, this morning, I'm, I used to preach it at night. This morning, you may be here today, and, and you may not relate to the Samaritan, and that's okay. There's moments in my life when I don't relate to the Samaritan. I just happen to right now because I've been preparing this for a while. You may not relate to, um, to the, the, um, the, uh, the, the religious men. Maybe you relate to the traveler right now. Maybe you say, David, in my place in life, I'm beaten. I've been robbed. I'm stuck. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're finding yourself as we as we kind of go about our, 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 our talk here, you're finding yourself that you, you line up more with the religious. That you get caught up in doing things for Christ. And you kind of bypass being a Christian. Maybe you're a robber here. Maybe you're the robber. Maybe you've been taking from people. Maybe you've been taking from people, maybe in your workplace or in your home, and, and you're, you're realizing, hey, look, that's me at this moment in my life. I've just been taking. God's calling us to give. I don't know who you, who you line up with today. I don't know who your Michael Scott is in this story. But let me tell you, we all have the opportunity to be the Samaritan. And God's calling us And he's given us the strength. We can't do it alone. We cannot do it by ourselves, but with God's help, we can. This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.